Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, and we shall read verses 28 to 30. Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Father, for this time, your presence with us, Lord Father. And Father God, even as we continue to meditate on what you have for us this day, Lord Father, I pray, Lord, that our eyes shall be open to the truth. Our ears shall be open to hear what you have to say, Lord Father. And our hearts shall be receptive to the words that you bring across to us. Father, we commit each one of us into your hands, that we will be moldable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During the watch night service, the key verses of the message were from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. I do hope you remember that. Uh, I may ask you sometime later to tell me what the promise of the year is. Uh, but till then, remember that the key verses were taken from Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And the key thought that God impressed on our hearts was this. Forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead. I'm going to just give you a small demonstration and I want you to observe. I may get a little thirsty so I may also have a drink. That's the privilege of standing up front. Now, what I've done is I've poured some water into this uh, tumbler. How heavy do you think it is? I mean, I'm sure all of you go to Lulu and buy sugar and meat and all, weighing the grams. 50 grams, okay. Somebody else? 75 grams, right. For ease of convenience, let's just call it 100 grams. Okay, now I'm going to stretch out my hand. How long do you think I can hold it like this? Comfortably. 50 minutes, 15 minutes? All right, 15 minutes. After that, what happens? My hand goes down, but no, I'm going to put it up because I'm in a torture chamber. And somebody's asking me to keep my hand absolutely horizontal. So what happens to my hand? It starts paining. And then what happens? Because uh, being in a torture chamber, the torturer does not allow me to put it down. And so I have to keep going on. So 15 minutes was okay, was comfortable. Maybe about 30 minutes later it starts getting painful. But I can't do anything about it. I still have to keep going on and on and on. And then what happens? What happens six hours later? My drop, but I'm going to get beaten up. So I have to struggle to hold it. Studies have been done on this. You know, a lot of torture techniques came from the Nazis. 
and they found that, you know, after about six hours, actually the pain disappears. Your hand becomes numb. It loses all sensitivity. It loses all sensation. But you can still continue to have this one. You won't even know that you're holding a tumbler. You won't even know that your hand is up there because your hand has gone numb. Okay, we're going to talk on that and I'm going to have my drink. Now, do you realize that uh, many of us live our lives just like that experiment? We keep carrying our burdens. You know, when God says, your sins are wiped away, He really means it. When He says that your sins have been taken away as far as the east is from the west, He means it. When He says that your sins have been thrown into the deepest part of the sea, and geography tells us that the Pacific Ocean has the deepest, uh, is the deepest ocean, He means it. But I would like you to recollect that a few weeks back, in one of the skits that the Friday school children presented, there was this girl with a bag, in which she had all her sins and whatever, and she was prepared to give a lot of it to the Savior who came out there, but she still wanted that bag with a little bit in it. You see, and a lot of us are like that. And the words that we just had, or the thought that God gave us uh, on, the victory, on, the, on the watch night service was simply this. Forget your past. Don't carry it into 2013. You have a fresh 2013 ahead of you. And I hope all of you will remember the testimonies which Pastor Monima just mentioned right now. It was victory after victory. There was no defeat in that. And if that could be there for Pastor Monima, let's not say at the end of the year that that is only for Pastor Monima. That is for every one of us. Every one of us can have victory after victory after victory in 2013. And so step number one is we need to put things back. We need to forget the things that are behind. But the problem, as I said, is many of us like to live our life the way we did the experiment. We have these little burdens which we don't let go. We like to carry them. In the beginning, it's okay. It doesn't hurt you. But after some time, it starts paining you. It starts hurting you. And when it hurts you, or when it hurts us, I should say, you know, when, when you read the Word of God, there is a word which tells you that something is wrong, and you realize that something is wrong. You are sensitive because there is the pain you are sensitive to what God is telling you, and you think that you need to change, and you probably even say that, yes, you will change. You will say, I'm going to let go, but you don't. Maybe a man of God talks somewhere, and you say, that's for me. That's talking to my situation. Because the pain is still there, and we always respond to pain. But the area that's worrying is that after six hours, because we become insensitive, we have become numb. We are still carrying the sin of yesterday. We are still carrying that bundle, that baggage from yesterday. But now our hands are numb. 
And therefore, when we read the word of God, and God is trying to tell us that we need to change, we are insensitive. We don't change because it doesn't touch us. Our hearts are hardened. The words mean nothing other than just a few English words or words from your native language if you're reading a Bible in your native language. Maybe you go to church and a man of God or somebody tells you, you're standing outside and some brother comes and tells you something. It doesn't touch you. You say, that's not for me. Why? Because you have become insensitive. And that is the worrying area in our lives. But you see, our God is a loving God. Our God is a God who cares for us. And our God is a God who is mindful of our every need. And our God gives us opportunities time and again to change our situation. And that's why he tells us in Matthew 11, 28 to, 20, uh, 28 to 30, the verses which we read, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke up from me, upon me and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is what God is saying. Because he actually is telling us we need to do an exchange. He's already done a divine exchange on the cross, and we'll talk about it. Now, those three same verses, Matthew um, Sorry about that. I get, I get caught sometimes. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Uh, when I read it from the Amplified Bible, okay, when I read it from the Amplified Bible, goes this way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and meek and humble and lowly in heart, and you will find rest, that is, relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and a blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, that is, it is useful, it is good, it is not harsh, it is not hard, it is not sharp, it is not pressing, but it is comfortable, gracious and pleasant." And my burden is light and easy to be borne. So God is telling us something entirely different. And if we go back in history, you will find that 2,000 years back, God demonstrated the principle of divine exchange. He hung on that cross with our burden and died a painful death so that you and I could live. But not just live, but live a life of success, a life of victory, and a life of satisfaction. God does not want us to just live mundane lives. God wants us to have lives of victory. God wants us to have lives which have meaning. God wants us to have lives which give us satisfaction. And that is why in Jesus, sorry, that is what Jesus says in John 10.10. 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That's what God wants to give us. And that's what He's telling us today. On this first Friday of the year 2013, God is telling us the same. He is saying, 
I want you to have life abundant. 2013 should be a year of victory. 2013 should be a year of success. The word depression should not be in our mouths. The word frustration should not be there for us. Because that's not our portion. Every one of us, every time we look at each other, we should be able to look at the brother or sister and say, tell me what's the good news because I see victory written on your face. And we should move from victory to victory. Over the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'm going to look at some biblical principles that we could then follow for this life of victory and abundance. And so I have just titled this message very briefly as Living Life Victoriously. Living Life Victoriously. Principle number one. God responds to your faith, not your feelings. God responds to your faith, not your feelings. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We often like to quote the first part of that verse, which is, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. But if you continue with the rest of the verse, you will clearly see the association between faith and rewards. There is no reward without faith. God is the rewarder of your faith. So the question that arises is simply this. What is faith? I know that we all quote Hebrews uh, chapter 11 verse 1 to define faith. But I've always found this to be a theological definition. So do we have a practical definition for faith? To me, it is simply putting it this way. Taking God at His word and obeying Him. Taking God at His word and obeying Him. That's faith. It's a paraphrased Hebrews 11 verse 1. God told Noah to build a ship in a land where there was little water and hardly any rain. Noah obeyed God. End result, Noah lived and is mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. He didn't question. He didn't ask God, why a ship? What's going to happen? He just took God at his word and obeyed him and he lived. God told Abraham to relocate and he would give him an inheritance. That would have sounded strange to Abraham who already was a rich man and had a huge inheritance coming to him locally. The Bible tells us that Abraham was a rich man and he had an inheritance coming to him locally. But he obeyed. He relocated. And he was rewarded with the one reward that he always wanted, a son of his own. You see, Abraham didn't question God that. He said, I've got everything. What more do I need? I've got camels, I've got sheep, I've got men servants, I've got maid servants. I've got everything that I need. Why are you asking me to re relocate and give me an inheritance? Don't you see all of this? But he didn't do that. God said relocate. Abraham said, fine, where do I go? And he went. 
taking God at His word and obeying. That is the way we need to go forward. We shouldn't be there to question Him. So faith simply is your response to God's word. Your response, my response to God's word. So today, when God gives you an instruction or gives me an instruction, do we obey that instruction implicitly? Or do we seek a modification of that plan? Do we ask God for an explanation? Do we ask God for a slight change? Remember, Jonah also did the same thing. When God said move, he moved. But he moved in the opposite direction. That's the only difference. Okay? Now God said, that's fine. Go in the opposite direction I'll put you under the sea. Okay, you shall be in water for quite some time. It's okay. So when God gives you and I an instruction, if we are not prepared to implicitly obey it, be prepared that God will take us through some difficult situations to bring us to the place where he intends us to be. It's as simple as that. Okay? So, when God gives you an instruction, do we obey or do we seek a modification of that plan? Do you have some conditions that need to be fulfilled before you accept God's instruction to you? God's instruction never look rational. But that's what faith is all about. Because if it was rational, well, that's my logic. I could immediately understand that one. Okay, but God's instructions often look irrational, often look weird, because it's actually depending, or your move, your response depends on your faith. Not on your feelings that it's irrational, not on your feelings that it's weird, not on your sight that this is not going to work. Because when God tells you something, that is going to work. Are you responding to God or do you expect God to respond to you and your demands? So principle number one, God responds to your faith, not your feelings. Principle number two, talk expectation of victory, not experiences of defeat. For 2013, please, when we talk, let's talk expectation of victory. Let's not talk of experiences of defeat. That's going to pull you down. Do not drag your yesterday into your today or into your tomorrow. Perhaps you have been denied a promotion or maybe even lost your job. Do not fo focus on your feelings of rejection. Instead, focus on the possibilities God is opening for you for tomorrow. Paint a picture of where you want to be in the days ahead. If you read 1 Kings chapter 17, 8 to 16, we read the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Now here was a woman whose future looked absolutely bleak. She had no food, she had no oil for tomorrow. Her past was a litany of disaster. Now Elijah painted a picture of her future. He did not dwell on her past. He said in verse 14, For thus says the Lord, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry. So he was giving her a picture and said, your days ahead. You are telling me today that the flour is over, the oil is over, you can just make it for one more day and that's it. Now I'm painting you a picture. This is what the Lord is saying. That flour shall never run dry. That oil shall never run dry. And that's the talk of expectation. 
When we talk of what is our future, are we talking based on the experiences of defeat? And are we pulling that with us? Or are we going to say those experiences of defeat are thrown behind? I'm not going to look at that. I'm going forward with an expectation of victory. And this is what God wants us to do. Now in today's church language, we often call this as a positive confession. Okay, so we can use different words, we can use different terminologies, which sound nice. But we need to put it into practice. Galatians 6, chapter, 9, chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Let us not be weary in doing well, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Become a tomorrow thinker. Become a tomorrow thinker. You know, companies in Japan are often told to create strategic plans for the hundred years ahead. Now, when I read this, when I read about this quite recently, I was a little surprised because uh, about uh, four months back, we were asked to create, in our institute, and I'm working with the Ministry of Health, we were asked to create uh, a vision 2050. What is the health scenario like in the year 2050? So, we were all commenting, we can't see 2014. Why are we talking about 2050? We are jumping from one disaster to another in 2012 at work. 2014 is not coming through. Why are we talking about 2050? But then I realized that that's the way forward. You see, we don't look at disasters. We don't look at the defeats. We don't look at the difficult situations. We need to paint a picture of where we want to be. What is it that we are looking at? Because that's the vision that we need to have. So companies in Japan are trained or told to create a vision, a strategic plan for the next hundred years. They are to use the lessons of the past but not live in the past. Managers are taught not to discuss company failures of the past at general body meetings. They are only to paint a picture of the future. They are only to tell the shareholders, this is what your company is going to be like in days to come. They are not going to say that this is the millions of dollars we have had in loss in the past year. Because they need to paint a picture of prosperity for the future. Jesus was a tomorrow thinker. In John 8, the Pharisees bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. He never discussed her sin. He just said, and it says so in verse 11, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. He was only addressing her future. He never spoke about the past. It was the Pharisees and the others who were addressing her, her past. But Jesus said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So he was talking about her future. And that's what we need to be. We need to talk of expectation of victory all the time. As we step into the new year, talk of your expectation of victory in 2013. Do not dwell on your experiences of defeat. Principle number three. Your mountains are opportunities to grow, not obstacles of growth. Your mountains are opportunities to grow, not obstacles of growth. In Mark 11, verse 23, Jesus says, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, 
be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we read the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a huge man, a mountain of a man, and he was taunting the army of the Israelites. The trained fighting men of Israel, of Israel were shivering in front of him. They saw the mountain and they were scared. They did not know what to do. They did not know how to go forward. But what did David see? He saw a man who was blocking the forward progression of the people of the living God. He knew that the mountain had to be moved. He also knew that only God could move that mountain. He didn't trust in himself or any available weaponry. That's what we read in 1 Samuel 17. While the men of Israel saw Goliath as someone too big to hit, David saw Goliath as someone too big to miss. How do you see your mountain? Do you see it as an obstacle or do you see it as an opportunity to get over it, to get around it, to get through it, and you will come through stronger on the other side? A big problem that many of us face is Satan interfering in our prayer life. Every time you enter your prayer time, Satan reminds you of something you forgot to do. It might be a phone call. It might be an email that you should have sent, maybe a business deal that you need to deal with, a neighbor to visit, a bill to pay. You get these reminders when you start praying. Now, turn this disadvantage into an advantage. Turn this disturbance into an advantage. Keep a memo pad close by and note down the things that you have forgotten to do. Then go ahead, ask Satan to keep quiet and enjoy your fellowship with God. Thank God that he's given you an unpaid secretary to remind you of things that need to be done. Okay? Look at your mountains. Look at the limitations and turn them into advantages. Today, do you see an obstacle in front of you? Don't worry about that. Just ask God. Just ask Jesus how to turn this mountain into an advantage. How to turn it so that you become stronger. How to turn it so you become better. How to turn it around so that that mountain, which seemed to be such a big obstacle, now becomes the opportunity for you to go forward. God will show you a way. He always has. He always will. Finally, principle number four. Your success depends on your obedience to God. Not on your talents or your abilities. When I first wrote this subheading, I actually wrote it uh, a little more, shall I say, dramatically. I said, your success does not depend on God. Your success depends on your obedience to God. But then I thought, that looks too drastic. So I'm going to modify that statement. I'm going to tell you what the statement is, but I'm going to say, your success depends on your obedience to God, not on your talents or abilities. Now let's read Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Daniel 11, verse 32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. 
But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And you shall carry out great exploits in Jesus' name. Every army commander knows that every battle is a bridge to success. And every born-again Christian must understand that every instruction from God demands obedience. Saul was the first king over the Israelites. He was a man of war and he tasted success at different times. Yet when we read 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read of his disobedience to God. He was instructed by God to utterly destroy all the Amalekites and their possessions. Yet during the battle, he spared the life of the king. And he took possessions of the best sheep and oxen. He disobeyed God and this led to his downfall. In 1 Samuel chapter 15 verses 22 and 23, this is what Samuel tells him. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Now when you disobey the word of the Lord, you are rejecting the word of the Lord. It is never a minor thing to know God's will and not do it. God calls this sin. We can make excuses for our lack of obedience. I am not yet ready. I'll do it later. I don't think it will make a difference. Let the pastor do it. We may rationalize. We may procrastinate. Yet in God's eye, all these equal to disobedience. And disobedience is sin. God is interested only in your obedience. He's not interested in our excuses. There is still a small issue to be sorted out. You see, we are the people of the 21st century and we don't do anything for free. Am I right? Yeah. We are prepared to be obedient provided we get something in return. Ask yourselves, are you prepared to do anything for free? We are prepared to do something for anybody, provided we get something in return somewhere. At least I get a certificate of appreciation, which I can then hang up somewhere in my house. Okay, now when you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 13, you read the blessings that God has prepared to bestow on you, provided you obey Him. Let us just read verses 1 and 2 of Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. God says, okay, all I want from you, I want from you obedience. And so we say, so what do, I, what do I get for that? I'll obey you. What do I get for that? 
And God says, go ahead, read from verse 3 to 13. This is what I'm going to give you. If you obey me, this is what I'm going to give you. And I have paraphrased verses 3 to 13. You will be blessed wherever you are. You will have perfect offspring and, the possession, and your possessions will increase. You will never go hungry. You will have complete victory over your enemies. You will taste success in all your undertakings. You will be known as God's people. You and your children will be prosperous. You shall be a lender and not a borrower. You shall be promoted over all. That is, you shall be the big boss or the head honcho. This is what God says, okay, my people, you want something from me so that I can get your obedience? This is what I have for you. Do you want it? Obedience. Now what more do you and I really want? Everything that we strive for, everything that we have attempted to get leaving our own countries and having come here, God has already promised us. It's there. It's there in Deuteronomy chapter 13, into 28, verses 1 to 13. Today the message is simply this. God is prepared to bless us and to answer our prayer and to give us every kind of success, provided we obey Him. Are we ready to do so? Or do we still think that our talents, our abilities, our qualifications can still do the job? Let us not expect God to honor our prayers if we cannot honor His instructions. Do not expect God to honor our prayers if we cannot honor His instructions. Brothers and sisters, I shall be closing now. But God has given us four principles to start this year with. There are many more that we could take, but these are just starting four. God responds to your faith, not your feelings. Talk expectation of victory in 2013, not experiences of defeat. Your mountains are opportunities to grow, not obstacles of growth. Your success depends on your obedience to God, not in your talents or in your abilities. We are going to pray now, but there is a question I need to ask you. Starting now, are you willing to let God to be in charge of your life completely and totally? Are you prepared to trust God completely and live by faith? Do you commit to talk only of expected victories and give God the glory for them? Are you ready to obey God completely and totally? If you can say yes to all of these, may I request you to stand and we shall pray together. Gracious Father, you have spoken, you have told us, you have taught us, and you have encouraged us early in 2013, Lord. Father God, you have told us that all you are looking for, for from us is our obedience and our ability to put our trust in you, Lord Father, because you respond to our faith, not feelings, not environment, not situations. Father God, I pray, Lord, that each one of us here, Lord Father, who is standing right now, even as we commit ourselves into your hands, we pray, Lord, that this year we shall walk by faith, Lord Father. 
Our talk shall be talk of victory and expectation of victory, Lord Father. We shall not talk like defeated people, Father. But we commit to talk as victorious people, Lord Father. We shall walk as victorious people, Lord Father. We shall walk with a back that is straight. A back that shows that we are victorious in every aspect of our life. No burden over us is going to make us stumble. No burden over us is going to make us stoop over. Father God, even as we continue to look to you, Lord Father, we pray, Lord, that you will put into us that desire, that deep desire for us to obey you all the time, Lord Father. Every instruction you give, Lord Father, help us, Lord Father, that we shall not be a questioning people, Lord Father. We shall not be a people who turn to you and ask, give explanation, give elaboration on what you have said. But Father God, whatever brevity of an instruction you give us, Lord, we will take it. We will take it as it comes, Lord Father. And Father God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us this year, Lord Father, shall hold fast to this, Lord Father. Not just for a few days, but for the remaining 361 days of this year, Lord Father. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to achieve this, Lord Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we please take our places? Brothers and sisters, with God on our side, please take your seats. 2013 shall be a year of victory. Let's go forward and claim our victories. All glory to God. Now is the time for us to take part in the last table. I'll read it for you from First Corinthians chapter 11, from verse 23. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgments to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many are sick. For if we could judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Let's close our eyes. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this thing. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us. Even now, O oh Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the table which you kept it before us. Lord, we are, we are very much privileged to take part in this table 
which you prepare for us, O Lord. Dear Lord, it helps us to remember, Lord, of your son Jesus Christ. His birth, his, his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, more than that is coming. Lord, it also, also helps us to proclaim his death to this world till he comes. And also it reminds us of your coming. Dear Lord, my God, we pray for the blood and also the wine which kept before us. Sanctify it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. As you are coming in union, Lord, sanctify ourselves, O Lord. Forgive all our sins. Cleanse us with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if any one of us have any unforgiven sin in us, Lord, we confess before you. Forgive us, O Lord. Help us to take part in this table and proclaim your death by receiving your blessings. In Jesus' precious name we pray. This is the table, as I said, it is for your children of God, those who have accepted Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and obeyed unto the Lord in the waters of baptism. So, as the ashes are guiding, please, those who have accepted and confessed, please come in order. On the night you were betrayed, you took the bread. After giving thanks, you broke it and said, This is my body, broken for you. And as you eat it, 
Your body, you said your 
And we remember your wondrous love. I gave your body, you shed your blood. And we remember your wondrous love. You gave your body, you shed your And we remember. And we remember your wondrous love. You gave your body, you shed your blood. And we remember your wondrous love. You gave your body, you shed your Stand up. Unto the Lord be the glory, great things he has done. Unto the Lord be the glory, great things he has done. Unto the Lord be the glory, great things he has done. Unto the Lord be the glory. Great things he has done, great things he has done, great things he will do, unto the Lord be the glory, great things he has done, great things he has done, great things he will do, unto the Lord be the glory, great Unto the Lord be the glory, great is He has done. Unto the Lord be the glory, great is He has he has done greater things he will do unto the Lord be the glory great things he has done great things he has done greater things he will do unto the Lord be the glory Like someone that has looked into the future and see victory and see glory and see overcoming every obstacle. Raise your hands to the Lord and start to glorify Him now. Because 2013, those that do know their God shall be strong and will do exploits. Honor Him for that which He has done in your ministry. 
Thank Him for what He has done in your job. Glorify Him for what He is doing in your spiritual life. Honor Him for what He is doing in your marriage. Thank Him for your financial life. Because the Lord has stepped in already. His glory is there. Give Him praise for the grace to be obedient. Give Him praise for the zeal to serve Him that has been released into your life. Because we have sat with the Lord, we have had a supper with Him. It means that we have identified with Him. Glory be to you, Father. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you, Daddy, because we know that you are our Father. And because of that, that which the Father holds, the Son inherits. So we thank you because we have inherited victory. We thank you because obedience has become second nature to us. We thank you, Daddy, because your faith in you, trust in you, has rested upon us in a new measure. This year, we will not fail. This year, we will not beg. This year, we will not borrow. Rather, we will lend on to nations. Rather, everywhere that we go, kings will be drawn to the brightness of our rising. In the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you because in this nation, and wherever nation we go, they will know that indeed, children of the Most High are here. And so shall it be. So shall it be. Glory be to you, King of Mercy. Father, we thank you for inviting us to the table. We thank you because it confirms our identity that we are one with the Lord Jesus. We thank you because it confirms that the way the body was crucified and the blood was shed, that that, that crucifixion, that sacrifice, has purchased a place for us with you in heaven. None of us will miss our place in heaven. We will not fall by the wayside. This year, nothing will take our crown. In the mighty name of Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We reverence you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Shall we share the grace? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy is following us all the days of our lives. And we are dwelling in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Before you go, the teaching we have today says that we need to be a prophetic church. We need to become a church that speaks for the will of God in every situation. So turn to your neighbor and repeat surely into that person's life. Surely. Goodness and mercy is following you all the days of your life. And you are dwelling in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Give Jesus a marvelous round of applause.